Welcome back to Curious Combinations, and everything's an original podcast. I'm AF Tanith, and today I'm covering Castlevania Season 1, Episode 3, and Episode 4. So, yeah, this played out about as I expected it to. It turns out that Castlevania Season 1 is just about gathering our team to fight Dracula, and so each episode essentially introduces a character. Episode 1 introduces our villain and his motivation, Dracula. Episode 2 introduces our hero protagonist, Trevor Belmont. Episode 3 introduces our maid and potential future love interest for Belmont, Sifa. And Episode 4 introduces the Lancer to Belmont's hero in the form of Adrian Tepish, aka Alucard. So let's get into this recap. Trevor wastes no time in seeking out the body of the missing Seeker. He gets into the catacombs easily, but the place is rather booby-trapped, and obviously the abode of a vampire given the statues of Hellbeast and the electricity lighting the place. But potential vampires are far from Belmont's biggest concern as he falls into the main hall. The room is filled with statues of bodies in various states of dismemberment, with one immediately recognizable as a petrified speaker. A female petrified speaker. Infinitely disappointing me, because if you listened to my previous episode, you know how desperately I wanted this character to actually be non-binary, given the gender-neutral language that the show insisted upon using to hide her gender for pretty much no reason. So, no sooner does Belmont investigate Sypha's statue self, though, than he discovers what did this to her. It lumbers out of the dark, lumpy and towering and bearing one enormous orb-like eye upon its orcish face. It's the Castlevania universe's take on a cyclops, and unlike in any mythology I've ever heard of, it has the ability to turn living creatures to stone, so that it can feed upon their terror and despair at their eternal state of immobile undeath. I would love to pick the brain of whoever came up with this, because I would love to hear the strange train of thought that they rode to turn the Cyclops into a petrifying monster like a Gorgon. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I genuinely find this choice absolutely fascinating, and I would love to know how they got there. But back to the show proper. Belmont, being from a long line of monster hunters, knows immediately what he must do. In order to rescue the Cyclops' victims, the Cyclops must be killed. Killing it will end the spell of petrifaction and restore the victims to flesh and blood, but that is easier said than done. The Cyclops is like 30 feet tall at least, and it's got a thick hide that Belmont struggles to cut through. He definitely dodges its attempts to petrify him, but it shrugs off having his sword embedded in its chest. And with a physics-defying mashup of swordplay and whipping, he manages to stab the Cyclops in its weak point, its oddly crystalline eye. Down it goes, and so too does Sypha begin to fall. Belmont catches her as she is restored, granting the two of them a perfect little meet-cute immediately ruined by Sypha's very understandable but less-than-romantic vomiting. She's just been through a lot, after all. A moment's purging is the least you can reasonably expect. But Belmont has got other concerns. Namely, how annoying he finds it that the speakers, quote, dress the girls like boys. And this is my warning to the show to quit while it is ahead. Casual misogyny is not cute or charming or funny, and I've dropped perfectly good franchises over it without a second thought. Harry Dresden, I'm looking at you. Thankfully, it is a sour note that only lasts a moment. These two bicker back and forth, clearly setting up the typical man-versus-woman romantic friction that I so utterly loathe in a story, and Sypha insists that they press on and explore while Belmont demands that they return to her grandfather. And though Sypha is right to want to keep searching, she gives in, and back to the other speakers they go. It's a touching reunion, and the speakers, of course, offer their gratitude to Belmont, not that he is largely interested. He does agree to return to eat with them later, but it doesn't go to plan, because as soon as he steps foot outside the building, he is beset by a band of particularly mercenary priests who demand that he go to the church to talk to the bishop. Yes that bishop. The bishop who burned Dracula's wife at the stake and brought hellfire and vengeance down upon the populace. Apparently, unlike the rest of the morons from that city, he actually had the brains to get the hell out of Dodge before the deadline was up, so he's still out here causing trouble. Though not for long. 
and it turns out that he wants to make a deal. The bishop wants Belmont to get the hell out of Dodge before sunset. He certainly doesn't want him protecting the speakers, who the bishop intends to massacre at nightfall. And if Belmont leaves the city and allows the speakers to be lynched in mass, the bishop will consider ending his excommunication at some future point in the bishop's incredibly obvious calculated power grab. Shockingly, Belmont does not go for this utterly stupid deal. Instead, he returns to have an almost equally stupid argument with the speakers about whether or not they should leave town before they're murdered. The speakers refuse to, quote, run away in the face of persecution while telling Belmont all about how they're the living embodiment of the region's knowledge and, like, pick a lane? If the latter is true, then your moral duty is to run away and stay alive so that the knowledge you harbor does not die with you. Otherwise, if you're ready to throw your lives away to make some dumbass stand in the, quote, war for the soul of our people, at least write your fucking stories down. Christ. But anyway, we come to a very obvious solution that any idiot should be able to see from a mile away. The speakers are going down to hide in those recently decyclopsed catacombs. All of them, at least, except for Sypha. And Belmont, of course. Belmont, because his defining character trait at this point seems to be that he must always pick fights that he doesn't actually need to, he decides to stay in the speaker's house instead of joining them in the catacombs. He lets himself get slapped around a little bit, and then the fight begins with a big reclaiming his identity moment that might have been emotionally meaningful if it had been properly built up. But it just wasn't. Sorry. This moment is not the triumph that it's written to be. The idea of Trevor rejecting the Belmont legacy has not been given enough room to breathe inside this story, and so the moment does not have the weight that it would have had otherwise. The truncated nature of this season, I'm afraid, makes it impossible for this moment to really resonate. I just met this guy like an hour ago. I don't really care yet about his relationship with his family legacy, and I haven't even gotten a strong impression that he is egregiously detached from it in the first place. Oh well. Cloak now eschewed, Trevor lets the fight begin. He leads the mob on a wild goose chase that ends in an awkward moment of getting cornered and followed while the hell creatures start to swoop in on the town. And so begins the season finale. The bishop waits in the church for news of Belmont and the speaker's demises, but rather than some messenger, he instead meets his death. It is a lovely scene. A perfect scene. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed it. The various demons creep into the church while the bishop insists that it is impossible for them to do so, and shockingly, this assertion does not stop them. The gargoyleish creatures crawl down the walls looming over our evil priest, but our show-stealer is the weird monster that waltzes in on all fours, speaking English, with all kinds of spines and huge fangs and a bunch of glowing eyes. He is an absolute delight, all the way from he doesn't love you to we love you. It is so delightful. The priest goes from suppressing his terror to letting it loose as the creature wraps its hands around his head and neck and, with the deeply fucked up line, we love you, we couldn't be here without you, let me kiss you, he eats the priest's fucking head. It is the best. It's the best. I am honestly upset we see this creature die not too long after this, because in terms of villains, he made an impression. But back to the mob. Trevor is cornered and Sypha comes to his aid. She loudly protests being called a witch by the townsfolk, which I find deeply silly, but okay. And then Trevor just cannot stop himself from picking yet another pointless fight. Just you and me, he tells the most doggedly violent of the priests, and in an incredibly unrealistic segment, he turns the entire mob against the priests by convincing them that the church is lying to them, manipulating them, and turning them into murderers. Like I said, this is incredibly unrealistic. The mob turns on the priest after Belmont applies some logic, and if there's one thing that has never and will never happen, it's a lynch mob listening to logic, or a religious lynch mob turning on their church. This is another reason that I am on Dracula's side here. This scene is an appeal to the better nature of humanity, but out here in reality land, it would never, ever, ever work.
work. Once we're at the point of mob violence, we are far beyond humanity's mythical better nature. And if religion is involved, well, then you've got as much chance of swaying them as Lisa did of getting off that pyre. But before we can dwell upon this unlikelihood, we find ourselves on the threshold of another. Trevor shows off his tactical prowess. He instructs the farmers and merchants and laborers on how to fight the monsters as if they would ever actually do anything other than run for the hills the second they saw one of the beasts they were supposed to be fighting. But Castlevania clearly takes place in an alternate and incredibly idealized universe, because not only do these people obey Belmont and stand strong against the monsters, they actually win the fight. The demons, including regretfully the fucker that killed the priest, are killed by the combined firepower of holy water, ice, and salted blades. But then the ground crumbles once again, and Sypha and Belmont crash down into the catacombs even deeper than they fell before, which means that they're about to meet this so-called sleeping warrior that Belmont was so sure wasn't down there. But I suppose, in a way, both Trevor and Sypha are kind of right here. Sypha was sure that the sleeping warrior was down there, waiting to help them fight against Dracula, and Trevor was sure that it was just some kind of recently-arrived vampire taking advantage of the myth. And, as it turns out, all of these things are correct. At the heart of the catacombs is a vampiric lair and an ornate coffin, out of which floats a blonde, long-haired, pretty boy vampire. He is Alucard, obviously. And he's dressed like he lost his shirt on the way to a My Chemical Romance concert. It is appreciated, let's say. And the conversation between Alucard and Belmont is tense, to say the least. There's far more tension in this conversation than anything that's happened so far between Belmont and Sypha, if you catch my drift, and it of course devolves into a fight. A delightfully drawn fight, to be honest, and one that ends, essentially, in a stalemate. Alucard could tear Belmont's throat out easily, but Belmont will stake him if he does. And then Sypha intervenes, and the truth comes out. Contrary to Trevor's accusations, this is not Vlad Dracula Tepish, this is his son Adrian Alucard Tepish, and he's absolutely going to help them fight and potentially kill his father. But first, he's got to grab the rest of his MCR ensemble. Again, it's appreciated. So, off our three go in search of battle, and that concludes season one. So, now that we have our cast together, I look forward to finding out what territory season two gets into. I'm not sure if we're adapting a particular game, or if we're adapting a bunch of games into one fusion story, or if we're doing something entirely different here, and I won't be able to look up those answers until after I've finished the show, for fear of finding spoilers. I have checked to see if the show is finished or not, and I found to my surprise that it is, so here's hoping it actually got a proper ending, unlike what seems like most of Netflix's catalog at this point. In any case, I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole thing unfolds. I hope season 2 covers more ground in terms of plot, and I look forward to seeing Dracula again, not to mention in getting to know a bit more about both Sypha and Alucard. Sypha, in particular, I'm hoping will get a more fleshed-out personality and backstory than she's gotten so far. I do suspect that she's supposed to be Trevor's love interest, and so I definitely need to see her get more characterization than a slightly spunky girl. I'm hoping to learn more about Alucard too, of course, but honestly, I'm also fine with it if he just wants to hang around and look pretty. He is incredibly pretty, after all. So, all of that is to say that I have enjoyed this season in spite of its terrible briefness. Really, it is short enough that I'm a bit curious why it was released as episodes instead of just as, like, an animated film. Then again, there's a question of whether this would have even really worked as a movie. This first season of the show, such as it is, doesn't even really tell an actual story with a beginning, middle, and end. It's more of an opening, really, the beginning of a larger narrative. We're just doing a first act here, just gathering characters and establishing the normal world and the inciting incident and everyone's motivations within this tale. 
and I am so excited to see where we're going from here. I think it's going to be very interesting to move into the middle section, like the meat of the story, and I'm very delighted by all of the different aspects working together here so far. There is promise to Saifa, I think, and I'm already loving Alucard. I'm finding that the weak point at this moment is the voice acting for Trevor Belmont, at least for me. As he was written, I feel like he's a character I could really enjoy, but Thorin Oakenshield over here is not really selling me on him. Nevertheless, it is a gorgeously drawn show. The monsters have interesting designs, our villain has an interesting motivation with, yes, potential room for very stereotypical resolution to the conflict, but we'll see how that goes. In any case, all of the elements are here to make a very phenomenal story, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Knowing, as I do, that the show is complete at four seasons, I desperately hope that it actually got a satisfying conclusion and did not get cancelled on, like, a low note or a cliffhanger or anything like that. I don't want to spoil myself by looking up reassurances that the show actually got a conclusion rather than just a cancellation, though, so I suppose I will just keep my fingers crossed. And now, with all of that said, that pretty much concludes my coverage of the first season of Castlevania. I'm going to be back next week with my coverage of the first three episodes of season two, and I hope you will join me again for that. If you are interested in my reaction videos to those episodes or to anything else that I have watched, including other vampire properties like Vampire Night, The Lost Boys, and Midnight Mass, along with other stories like The Haunting of Bly Manor, Umbrella Academy, Squid Game, the first season of You, and so on, then you want to go sign up for my $5 Patreon tier where you can get all of my full-length reaction videos. If you are interested in helping me choose what it is that I'm going to be watching after Castlevania or at any point in the future, you can do that by signing up for any Patreon tier higher than $1 per month. If you are not interested in Patreon at all or cannot afford to make any financial contribution, it would also be appreciated if you could leave a rating or a review on your podcatcher of choice, if you could talk about the show on social media, or if you could just recommend it to anyone who you think would enjoy it. And if you cannot do any of that for any reason at all, it is still, of course, incredibly appreciated for you to just keep listening. As always, I hope you will join me again next week for more coverage, and thank you so much for tuning in. And with a physics-defying mashup of soy soy play. What the fuck is soy play? Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus.